0: Welcome to Chowder and Grits. Today is Thursday, August 15th, and we have got a great show for you today. We're branching outside the ACC a little bit. We are talking to our Southern brethren with Southern Prigskin, Jim Johnson. We're going to talk a little bit of SEC football in addition to some ACC football, but just wanted to give everybody a look into what we should be expecting from some of the top SEC programs and some of the programs that are still coming along like uh, Tennessee and in uh programs like that so a uh, good episode i think uh, i think you'll enjoy it uh, but first off tim what's going on
1: hanging out you know just hanging out biding time here recording a quick little podcast while we uh, wait to go on our grocery run after this a uh, pretty exciting day i don't know about you justin but i really really love the grocery run
0: yeah you know um sunday i went out to costco tim and uh it was one of those Costco trips where you don't realize your membership has expired until you're at the register. And they're like, oh, you want to go ahead and renew your membership? And it's like, well, yeah, I guess. You know, I'm locked in for another year because <laughs> right. I'm not putting this stuff back. And then, a good point. you know, it turns out it comes to like, it's a $440 bill, which is like, yep, I guess that's that's a traditional Costco run. Um, Welcome to Costco. It, uh, it definitely catches up on you quickly, but... It also holds you over for a long time. So you're really saving money in the long run, even though that initial, you know, that, that price shock really hurts. But, you know, my favorite thing about Costco, Tim, is, you know, getting there and when you walk in, you've got a different kind of front area that's, uh, oh, yeah. you know, they they just change it in and out from week to week based on whatever sales are going on. So here in Chicago, it's, you know, it's August like everywhere else, but I walk in and you know it's all winter clothing and i was like wow this is this is kind of soon it's still august okay but sure. you know they've yeah. got you know the jackets out and some long pants and some flannels and you know all that kind of stuff then you got your tv section but i don't know about you i always do a little loop around the areas where i don't need anything just to, just to check it out do a little price price shopping and, uh, just to see what's new, talk to the people trying to sell me direct TV every single time, oh, even though I gosh. already have direct TV. So it ends really, really quickly for me. I'm like, Oh, guess what? I already have direct TV. I already know what you're going to ask me. Don't ask me.
1: <laughs> you're one of those guys. Yeah. You, you hit him with, the, I've heard this before, before they even open their mouth. They're
0: like, Oh, sir, can I talk to you? I was like, what about direct TV? They're like, how'd you know? I was like, cause I come here all the time. <laughs> you stand in yeah, the man. exact same spot.
1: They do. Oh, that part's frustrating. I never, I never handle that situation well. I'm, I'm such a nice guy when it comes to that type of situation. That's really my weakness where I, I kind of just want to say, look, man, I've heard it. But the nice guy comes over and then I get into a conversation with them and I can't leave for six to seven minutes as I sweat uncomfortably.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's always fun. But I, I definitely like to take a stroll before I need to actually get, get what I need uh, at Costco. Oh, yeah. So, oh yeah,
1: it's always fun. Cause you know, it's good to see what's out there. I learn of so many new things that have come out and, and in prices that have come down when I go do that. Um, you know, I love that part of Costco, but really I also just love walking around any grocery store. Costco is great. You know, you can get your bulk protein bars and here's the thing that Costco does really well is those variety packs. Oh, yeah. You can give variety packs of anything, you know, um, drinks, energy drinks they, they always come out with a new mix of flavors and you know costco is the best for that because when you're buying a 90 count of uh, energy drink you really want the flavors to be varied um, so that's great the only thing that's frustrating about costco is you go in there you drop you know like 400 to 500 a trip uh, you get all your paper supplies that you need um, you know any vitamins that you're taking on a daily basis but there's always ingredients that you need to cook dinner for the week, for the month, however you do it, uh, that you don't get at Costco, so you always have to supplement Costco with another grocery run that's for easily sure. over a hundred bucks, you know, and then that always hurts. It hurts the wallet, but at least you don't you don't need to make a Costco run once a week like you do the grocery store.
0: Well, see, like I've always found the the produce section to be kind of uh, fascinating because I'm like they sell bananas of like six, seven bunches, like in one big plastic bag. I'm like. Who Who is buying this? Because there's no way I can go through that many bananas in a week. Because after a week, bananas are pretty much worthless. you got to toss them. Yeah, yeah um, you do. But I, and although I guess those are for massive families. I don't know.
1: They they are. the The problem with bananas in my family is there's a very fine window in which I like a banana. If there is any green on a banana, I won't eat it. I mean, I'll treat that like poison. Interesting. If there's yellow with no speckles, I won't eat it there has to be a proper ratio of speckle to yellow on the banana. And that window, I feel like is two days.
0: Yeah. So So you, you you, and that, the problem with that, Tim, is you buy a bunch of bananas and that window is very short lived because, you know, there's always a little bit of green. And then the second they're perfectly yellow, it's like the next day they got the spots on them.
1: Sure. And it's, it's downhill from there. As soon as they get the spots, you know, you got about two days to really eat them before they turn into complete mush. Um, but it's important. You know, at least the, the kid and the wife will eat them when they're green. So that really helps me out. I don't feel as much pressure to be, you know, like the banana guy of the family. Yeah. But man, I, I love a good banana. It's just, for me, it's so hard to time that banana. So if you're listening, uh, big produce, um, GMO fiends, why don't you design a banana that stays perfectly speckled for more than two days? I will eat all of those carcinogens all the time. You just, well, I don't, you just name them. I, I don't know
0: if they're carcinogens,
1: but. Well, they're GMOs, and people don't like GMOs for whatever reason. I mean, there were probably GMOs in our food when we were, you know, being raised up in the '80s, right? Nobody gave a damn.
0: So nobody cared. I uh, now we're all upset. I, I don't get it. I worked at a grocery store in high school, and I would always look at people that I would pretty much see every day. They'd come in like the cafe area, and they'd just pick up one or two things. And I always look at that person, and be like, "What is wrong with you? Why do you come in here like at least three or four times a week?" And now I'm that guy because <laughs> the grocery store is, like, right next to my right. daughter's daycare. If I need something real quick, I'll just stop in there, pop in, grab a monster, you know, maybe something for dinner that night. And then I'll just head over to the daycare and pick her up. I'm now the guy who I used to hate.
1: <laughs> it, man, it's a smooth transition, right? Yeah. Oh, man. I, I'm in the same way, though. I, I absolutely love running into the grocery store, um, you know, looking at everything that's in there. So we're going to go hit up the Publix uh, after this. And I cannot wait to see what I find. And for me, there's a couple of traps, right? It's the energy drink aisle. I like to go see what new bang flavors they have out. Um, And then the hot sauce aisle, man, it gets me every time. Publix has a massive selection of hot sauce where I am. Yeah. And I leave with a new bottle every time I go out.
0: Yeah, I I have to be careful in that aisle because, like, my kitchen's just not that big. Like, we don't have a pantry. That's what you get for living in a... 120 year old house. <laughs> sure. So you got to be very selective with your hot sauces. So I tend to stay pretty close to the vest, but every now and then I'll throw, you know, a fancy looking bottle in there, try it out.
1: Yeah. It's important. Spice of life.
0: Well, you know, now that we're talking about food, you know, we are Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. You know, we asked Jim Johnson uh, with Southern Pigskin, guy that you're going to hear here in a second, you know, what he thought of the name. He uh, He liked it, but didn't really get it. Until we explain it to them. So for those listening for the first time, Chowder and Grits, Northeast Chowder, South Grits. It's pretty easy, right? A little easy, fun wordplay with ACC and food. Two things that we love. Mm -hmm. So uh, be sure to check us out. We're on all of your favorite podcast networks for the most part. Unless there's something weird that I don't know about. But Apple Podcasts, you can find us. And uh, just click subscribe. But first, here is our interview with Jim Johnson. All right, we welcome on editor and lead writer of Southern Pigskin, Jim Johnson. Jim, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, guys. I appreciate you having me on.
0: Absolutely. Well, thanks uh, Thanks for coming on. But uh, first, why don't you tell us a little bit about Southern Pigskin and uh, just kind of what your involvement is.
2: Sure, sure. Yeah. So I've been with Southern Pigskin for a few years now. Uh, I think this is my third year in the editor capacity, but we covered the SEC and the ACC, as well as Sunbelt and Southern Conference football, just, you know, kind of all the teams throughout the South and, and um, you know, kind of try to do it from an analytical perspective, particularly me, where we've introduced a new advanced uh, stat, OAYP, this offseason. Then we have uh, myself, B.J. Bennett, uh, as the other lead writer, and he's a little bit more of a storyteller than I am. Um, and, you know, just kind of provide coverage for each of those teams from each of those conferences through the prism of people who were you know born and raised in the south uh that have that same passion for football that i think a lot of our readership and and most college football fans down here have
0: yeah for sure i think uh when you're talking about the south and football those two things go hand in hand so it's just kind of you got a built-in audience right there um So, you know, over the last few weeks, we've had kind of a variety of guests on, uh, some guys from SB Nation, we had, you know, former Virginia Tech quarterback Michael Brewer, uh, a couple of reporters from, you know, The Athletic, and uh, a couple of newspapers up in Virginia with the uh, Daily Press, but, you know, we wanted to kind of hit on the SEC a little bit today, so why don't we go ahead and get started there. So, you know, the SEC has long been known for elite defense. And it's not that that's not still the case, but you've got teams like Alabama, Georgia, LSU, obviously that are leading the way. Georgia and Bama are are doing it on both sides of the ball, but it feels like offense is starting to kind of take the league by storm. Are you seeing that same trend? And how do you think teams are starting to adjust recruiting wise?
2: Yeah. And I, I don't think it's that the defense is getting worse in the SEC. You know, I mean, obviously, there's fluctuation from year to year, just like there is with any unit, with any team, with any conference. But it's that the offenses have gotten a lot better in a hurry, and and that's in part because the SEC was playing catch-up for a while. Uh, you know, Alabama in particular, as good as they've been, were kind of late adopters to some of the more modern spread concepts that we've seen uh, been, been put into use pretty much across the country um, for over a decade now, and really only last year did they tap into that and we saw what that could be right when you have all that talent and now you're taking full advantage of it and and having a more balanced offense and not just balance in the sense of run pass distribution but in touch distribution where you have four different receivers that are all going to have 40 plus carries three different running backs they're all going to have 120 something carries that is kind of the pinnacle of the modern offense and we just hadn't seen that well lo and behold they kind of you know, adapt that, albeit with a, you know, pretty generally generationally good quarterback, which certainly helps. I mean, that's where it all starts. But those concepts coupled with the talent, and they had probably the second best offense in the country, in my opinion, last year, behind only a historically good Oklahoma group. But, yeah, you raise a good point. It's, it's not that the defenses have gotten worse. It's just the offenses have gotten better. And that's because they're finally doing – You know, pretty much across the league now, what teams in the Big 12, what some Big 10 teams, Ohio State, namely, and Penn State to some degree, uh, what Pac 12 teams have been doing for a decade. Um, But yeah, I I do think the offenses have gotten better. There's still elite defensive talent. The numbers just may not reflect it like it used to because of the pace of the game.
0: Yeah, the pace of the game's definitely changed. And you know, really, kind of the the oddball out of that group before Tua came along was Alabama, uh, but now we see, you know, Alabama having adapted um, to to the uh, to the play of their quarterback. And then you've got uh the interesting team I see in the league right now is Tennessee because you got um, a head coach there and and Jeremy Pruitt that's trying to go back to that kind of slow down pace on offense, control the tempo, control the clock. But you know. Tennessee right now is a program that has a lot of question marks. Um, And, you know, they've got a decent amount of guys returning. But in their last 17 SEC games, they're only 2-15. and Just for whatever reason, it seems like they can't put it together. Is this the year that they maybe try to take a little bit of a step forward? And and if not, why not?
2: I'm really not as high on Tennessee as some folks are. And I've seen them pick, you know, as high as third or fourth in the East by different folks over this off season. I I just, I don't know that I see that quite yet. I mean, maybe they could fit. They're, they're fine. There's a decent talent base there. And look, I I don't, I don't really care about, about the offensive scheme, right? I mean, I think it's a good thing when teams can go up tempo and can go spread and and that's fine. But what's more important to me is just fitting what you do schematically to the players you have, because it's the players that win games. I mean, look at Georgia the last couple of years, they're not doing anything different than they've ever done. They're not going spread. They're not going air raid. They run the ball about as much as any team in the country, save a handful of option teams like Navy, Georgia Southern, whatever you do, just do it. Well, that's more important than what the scheme itself is, is just execution. So I don't mind them doing that. They obviously brought in from Georgia, the offensive coordinator, Jim Chaney, and there's some pieces in place, but I really worry about a lack of depth overall. I mean, this program is not far removed uh, from being one of the worst Power 5 teams in the country, pretty clearly the worst SEC team, I guess right there with Arkansas. But I, I think it's a lot to ask. And I get the high expectations for Tennessee fans, but this is more of a turnaround than I think people are fully appreciating. Uh, Jared Guarantano, a quarterback, he's a perfectly below-average SEC quarterback. He can be serviceable. He's had some bright spots, but he's not great. Uh, the running backs are fine, but again, nobody's going to blow you away there, especially in the SEC, where the class, by and large, throughout the conference is pretty loaded. Uh, sure. The offensive line, they've recruited well up front, but is Trey Smith right? If he is, he's one of the best in the league, maybe one of the best in the country. But is he right? I don't think we've seen that uh, with any clarity yet. Not a ton of playmakers on the outside. Marquez Calloway, is fine. I think he's really better on special teams. I've never been blown away by him as a pure receiver. And then defensively, it's just, it's a matter of getting players into me still. And maybe there's guys that we just don't know about yet. Right. You know, that's kind of the recruiting game. When you get good players in, they can become stars. And we may not just know it yet. Maybe that talent's there, but I haven't seen it yet. So I'm not just going to assume that it is, you know, Daryl Taylor's really good. Nigel warrior was really good. Two years ago. I think he took a step back last year. But outside of those guys and maybe a handful of kind of serviceable options, there's just no names that roll off the top of the tongue as like, okay, this is an all SEC caliber player. And in a league that is pretty talented, clearly, just look at the NFL draft. If you don't have those guys, then it kind of doesn't matter who the coaches are or what you're doing or what you're scheming up. You're just not going to be able to compete on a week to week basis. We saw them pull some upsets last year, and that's fine. Tennessee is good enough. To win on any given Saturday they're just not good enough yet in my eyes to win on every given Saturday
0: yeah I mean they're a team it seems like they're stuck in no-man's land because it's not like they're you know barren, uh looking for talent but they've got guys that can play they just don't have guys that can really compete at the highest level in the SEC right now and you know I'm glad you kind of level set it because I don't really see it for Tennessee either this year I mean I know Tennessee fans get excited uh, but I don't think this is the year that that we're going to see major major steps forward for them. Another team that's got a very excitable fan base uh, and one that I have a little bit of experience around is Texas A and M. So A and M, you got Jimbo Fisher entering his second year. Uh, there's definitely a ton of talent on that team, but there's some positional groups that are, you know, pretty pretty large liabilities. Um, but first, let's talk about quarterback. So we've got Kellen Mond who is now entering his junior season. I've really never been on the Kellen Mond is a great quarterback uh, bandwagon. He's uh, stepped up in big moments. He's definitely a gamer. But from the quarterback playing consistently and giving you a chance to win week in and week out, I'm just not there with him. What about you?
2: Yeah, Kellen Mond is kind of an enigma to me because first off, I was blown away, stunned when he won the starting job over Nick Starkle last year, I thought Starkle had been way better than him in the limited sample sizes that we had seen of both of them when they were freshmen. But I, I think Jimbo Fisher did know better than me. I test for me, I actually really like Mond. I, I think he does a good job of improvising. He makes plays outside of the pocket about as well as anybody in the country, save a couple of the truly elite quarterbacks. And there's certainly plenty of work to be done with some of his mechanics. But, but – Like you mentioned, he is a gamer, and I think he's pretty good. But then on the flip side, you look at the numbers, and some of them were kind of buoyed by that seven-overtime game against LSU. Uh, My personal formula really doesn't actually like him that much, which is something that I've kind of had to grapple with. I think he's good. I also think he's a beneficiary of Jimbo Fisher, as well as his supporting cast. He had the most productive tight end, arguably, in the country last year. He's going to return— Every single guy that caught a pass outside of that tight end, Jay Sternberger. And they're also bringing in the number one tight end in the class of 2019. So the weapons are going to be there. I'm not sure that it actually matters how great he is because he's going to continue to benefit from those players around him. I think he's good. He can extend plays with his legs. He does a pretty good job. And we know Jimbo Fisher's history with quarterbacks. I'm a fan of Kellen Mond. I would like to see him improve some statistically. I would like for the numbers to match the eye test, but I am willing to give him the benefit of the doubt.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you know, offensively, I don't think they have too many question marks. Like you said, they've got an experienced group of receivers. Everybody seems super high on uh, the running back, Joshua Corbin. I mm-hmm. think it's really defensively where, where the questions come in for, for Texas A&M. And, you know, they had the nation's third-ranked rushing defense last season but then somewhere in the 125 range in passing efficiency. And it it seems like there's a good chance that replicates again this season. Plus, they have probably the most difficult schedule in college football with Alabama, Georgia, and LSU scattered throughout the season. So, you know, what's a realistic expectation for, for Aggie fans this year? And, you know, do you think that they're able to knock off one of those teams? And, you know, if so, how many?
2: I, I I don't. I, I mean, I'm just being honest. I I, I don't. They're not going to beat Georgia. They're not going to beat Clemson. They're not going to beat Alabama. It's it's a brutal schedule. I had them in South Carolina, 1A, 1B as far as the toughest schedules in college football. Uh, as you know, South Carolina has that same terrible trio to have to play. Uh, but yeah, de- defensively, it, it is interesting because the rush defense was really good last year. I think Mike Elko in his first year did a pretty awesome job. But he also had a lot of talent to work with. You know, Tyrell Dodson, Ataro Alaka. There were a lot of guys in that front seven that had a bunch of experience. So it wasn't like he was having to mold these new players. Now, the only returning starter or really even meaningful contributor in the front seven from a year ago is defensive tackle Justin Matabuke. And and I wrote about this uh, for Southern Pigskin. Uh, at SEC Media Days, I think he's going to be the most valuable defensive lineman in the SEC this year. Not the best, because I wouldn't put him over Derek Brown, not over Raquan Davis or or, or Rashard Lawrence at LSU, but the most valuable because they lose so much. So he has to be really good again. And last year, I, I questioned whether he was super productive because he's awesome, or whether he was super productive because of all the attention that was drawn away from him on account of all those other playmakers in the, on the defensive line and in the linebacking core. Uh, there's talent, clearly. That's another program that's recruited really well. But when everyone recruits well, as they do in the SEC – You know, how much does it really matter once if those guys are are inexperienced in particular like this group's going to be? So uh, the secondary's got to be better. I mean, that's the thing. The pass defense has to be way better to make up for what – or to, you know, help mitigate whatever losses there are up front, especially in the short term as that group tries to find its legs. But as far as beating any of those big dogs, I don't think so. If I'm a Texas A&M fan, I know it's hard. I know you're paying Jimbo a ton of money. I know the expectations should be high. You know, coming off of last season, but it's got it. It's going to be worse before it gets better, and that doesn't mean that this is a bad team. This yeah. might be and the best seven and five team in the country, but that's just the reality. The reality of the situation.
1: Sure, and and you know, I I, I kind of have faith, especially with Mike Elko. I mean, seeing what he did at Wake Forest with much less talent. Yeah. Um, you'd have to think that defensively they're going to improve just with some more familiarity with Elko and what he wants to do defensively. Um, but what a brutal schedule! I mean, I mean, you talk about an a- absolute just just gauntlet that they have to go through. I think seven and five might be selling them a little short, but then again, with that schedule, it's hard to really see them as we as we talk about picking up any of those three games we mentioned. So um, it'll be tough, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if Elko was able
2: to make big strides well and, and and to your point as far as the schedule goes, the one biggest key I would have for Fisher and that team this year is you can't let Alabama, Clemson, or Georgia beat you twice, right? We see that all the time sure. where like l s u will go play Alabama when they're undefeated, and then all of a sudden they rip off you know two straight losses to Arkansas and an old miss or whoever it's 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 a thing where okay, you can take your beating, but you gotta get right the next week and and that's where you can see Texas A&M actually show some real improvement this year, if not in the win-loss column, just by team strength, you know, the eye test. That's really what I would be looking for more than anything as an A&M fan.
0: Would you say, though, that A&M is, and maybe maybe Jimbo Fisher, I should say, is in kind of a uh, extremely tough situation down there as far as what they're expecting from a... Uh, let's say, national championship return on the amount of money that they're giving him just because of the division he finds himself in inside the SEC. So you've got Alabama, Auburn, LSU that you're constantly being compared against. You know, A&M has probably the most money of any school in the entire country. They've got an extremely passionate fan base, an impatient fan base. They just made a bunch of investments into the stadium. You know, when is it where... If Jimbo doesn't have a national title in three, four years, when do we start to hear kind of the the knocks on the door for, for somebody else?
2: I mean, honestly, probably sooner than we should. It's so impatient now. And and I know it can be frustrating for fans, but it's frustrating for me <clears throat> to not give these guys, especially proven guys, I mean, Jimbo's got a ring. They're like, I mean, well, last year there were only like three coaches in college football that had a ring. I know with Mac Brown and Ellis, or uh, and, uh, Les Miles coming back, it's up to like five now, I guess Urban left, but, People don't win. No, no one wins national championships. Nick Saban and Dabo Swinney win national championships. You've got to be patient and give these guys a chance. And and you know, this year with the schedule, you just kind of gotta chalk it up. It is what it is. You want to see steady linear improvement on a year-to-year basis. But I do think actually Texas AM has an opportunity to build a team that can at least compete with Alabama because of the infrastructure that you mentioned. They like you said, they have about as many resources as anyone else in the country. That oil money talks, baby. Uh, I mean, they have a coach who has that national champ pe- championship pedigree, which very few teams can say. They are in a talent-rich state. I-, I wrote about this when he was hired. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but why can't Texas A&M be Clemson? They have kind of a similar historical trajectory. Obviously, that's a pretty high bar, Clearly. But they have the resources. They have more money than Clemson. Now, they also have more in-state competition, but that kind of probably evens itself out to some degree. If you're willing to give Jimbo a chance, I think you'll at least be competitive. I'm not guaranteeing national championships, but that's a team that can be a perennial playoff contender because of all that money, because of that fan support, because of everything that they have at their disposal, as well as that fertile recruiting ground.
0: Yeah, I mean, they certainly have got more in-state competition, but they've got way more talent to choose from in the state of Texas. So I think that definitely uh, helps them. But it's just it's just an interesting situation down there. And, you know, a team that hasn't really lived up to expectations, um, especially since the uh, Manziel era. So um, it'll just be interesting to see how that kind of unfolds under Jimbo, because I don't think he's a guy who is going to wear well if he's not winning. Uh, Winning at a high level, I should say, because I think they are going to win games under him. Um, So jumping over to Georgia, you know. This is a team where they've they've been on the brink for two years in a row. And I mean by the brink, I mean (laughs) by the brink, you know, had a national championship like within their grasp and just completely blew it down the stretch. Uh, They've seemed to really kind of struggle towards the end of their regular season and be kind of flirting with that SEC East and or SEC Championship appearance. But it is the SEC, so it's any team can win on any given Saturday. I think the Notre Dame game they have in the front half of the season is a huge non-conference matchup for them, not just because of number, but just for an insurance policy in case they do lose one or two times in the regular season and don't end up in the SEC Championship. but. You know, this is another school that's got a very tough stretch towards the latter part of the schedule. Like for the last 5 weeks, they've got Florida, Auburn, uh Missouri, and Texas A&M, and I think they're on the road at both Florida and Auburn. So, you know, what do you see for them and do you think, you know, a hiccup is is possible or do you think that they have a good shot to go undefeated?
2: I'll be on I I think they go undefeated. I could see 11 and 1, no worse than that. And to me, I'll be honest with you, The game that would scare me most if I'm a Georgia fan is at Auburn because you look at the last two years where Georgia has been one of the three best teams in the country each of those years, for for my money, right up there with Alabama and Clemson, probably a tier below them, but at the top of that second tier. The only two games that they've lost are their road games and hostile environments. You You look back at that Notre Dame game two years ago, that wasn't a hostile environment. That was a road game in what should have been a hostile environment it was 50% Georgia fans there. That's not hostile. Yeah. It's yeah. basically a neutral site game. Notre,
0: Notre Dame's a quiet crowd anyways.
2: Yeah, so... so yeah, No
0: kidding.
2: Yeah, so the 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 only two games you look at where they went on the... You know, I, I mean, going to Kentucky, that's not going to be hostile. Going to Vanderbilt, whatever. It's when they went to Auburn in 2017, they got... Cooked out of the gate. I mean, Auburn bullied them for four quarters. They have ultimately avenged that loss in the SEC championship in Atlanta and then obviously went on to the national championship where they lost to Alabama. And then last year was in Death Valley, one of the hardest places to play in the country uh, when they were taking on LSU. And again, they were competitive through the first couple of quarters, stopped running the ball, you know, for whatever that's worth, and then got beat pretty bad in the second half. So basically, they are 0 2 in hostile road environments during this Kirby Smart stretch of dominance. And that's about the only nitpick you can really have of that program during that stretch. It's one of the only nitpicks I think you can have of Jake Fromm, the star quarterback, during that stretch. So that's my thing. I want to see them do it in a hostile environment. And the only real one you're going to see them play in this year, because Notre Dame's at home, Texas A&M's at home, Florida's a neutral site, is Auburn.
0: Yeah. And you know, how how do we assess Auburn? Because Auburn is a team that, you know, they they didn't have the year that everybody thought they were gonna have. They had just given Malzahan the seven year, $49 million extension. Now all of a sudden he's on the hot seat. They go three and five in conference. Like to be honest, I don't see them doing much better than that this year in conference. You know, maybe four and four. You know, they've got AM, they've got Florida, they got LSU, they got Georgia, they got Bama. I mean, those are tough games to win. So, I mean, what's your assessment of Auburn? I mean, I know at Auburn is always extremely difficult, but just from a, you know, yeah. overall standpoint, do you think this is a make or break year for Malzahan or where do you think they end up?
2: Yeah, it definitely is. And obviously the most important thing that he's got to do is make that quarterback decision. I, I think we'll see both of them early on, but by the time he gets into conference play, uh, I think their opener in conferences, Texas A&M, he's got to know who his guy is. He can't do any more of that multi-quarterback tr- system that he tried to do a few years ago when it was Jeremy Johnson and Sean White and J- John Franklin, and it, it just doesn't work. you got to have your guy, and if it's Bo Nick's a true freshman, that's fine. If it's the redshirt freshman, Joey Gatewood, that's fine too, but they need to know that, and you need to know that. Uh, if I'm being optimistic about Auburn, and I think there is reason to be, They have some legitimate playmakers on the outside. The running game, that has to be better, and I think that it will, not so much because of the running backs who are both serviceable, I think, but the offensive line. They return all five starters up front, and then the defensive line. And ultimately, football is a game won in the trenches, right? I mean, we can spread it out and talk about getting playmakers in space and RPOs and whatever else, but football games are still won. In the trenches, offensive linemen and defensive linemen, and quarterbacks, obviously. But that's what it's about: protect, having a good quarterback, protecting that quarterback, and then getting to opposing quarterbacks. Auburn, to me, might very well have the best defensive line in the country. Derrick Brown's going to be a top fifteen pick at worst, unless something just goes horribly wrong. The linebacking core is going to be have a new look to it, but they have recruited really well there, and and the secondary returns all but one starter, so. The defense is going to be legit. The offensive line is going to help whoever that new quarterback is, as will the skill players on the outside. And if they can run the ball, that's what makes the whole offense work. The offense didn't work last year because they couldn't run the ball because the offensive line wasn't very good because they were breaking in a bunch of new guys. And so Jarrett Sidham had to carry way more weight on his shoulders last year than he did two years ago when Auburn went to the SEC Championship. So if you can run the ball in that offense, it's going to work, even with a freshman quarterback. And defensively, they're going to be awesome, especially up front. I think Auburn can be good, but like you said, that's a team that their record probably won't reflect it. That's a team that will probably be better than their wins and losses ultimately show. And if I'm Auburn, that doesn't make it acceptable. So, yeah, this is a make-or-break year for Gus Malzahn. I'm not optimistic about his future, but... If I'm an Auburn fan, there are reasons to be excited about this team, and you know, as always with Auburn, they're the most unpredictable team in the SEC. Anytime we think they're going to be bad, they go like win a national championship. So who knows?
0: Well, I mean, if you think they, I mean, they open the season with Oregon. If they somehow manage to lose that game, are you going to hear, you know, Malzahn on the on the hot seat or calls for his head right off the bat?
2: Yeah, it's going to go south really quick. It's already such a weird situation. Uh, you know, going back to last year, he actually took money off his buyout in an agreement with the school, so that he could even come back this year. Which, if I'm me, I'm like, okay, fire me. I'll take the full buyout. But I guess he really wanted to keep that job. But yeah, this this thing is pretty combustible. They need to take care of business, especially early, and maybe he can absorb some late season losses if he can beat a Georgia. I mean, you know, heaven forbid win the Iron Bowl, then he's not going to get fired. He just won't. But if this goes south early, he may not make it, you know, into November.
0: That would be interesting. A a, another team that has had kind of an odd offseason is Florida. And so with uh, I think Dan Mullen's done a nice job there. But this Florida team has had a lot of negative issues off the field Um, you know violence against women accusations and it's not just been one guy it's been about four guys Mm -hmm. so that's led to a number of guys transferring you know we've seen a number of recruits decommit Um, and it seems like this year talent wise on the field they're going to probably be fine it's really next year and the year after that you know let's see if that you know that recruiting um, attrition kind of catches up with them but you know, Florida does have a little bit of hype heading into the season, but do you think Felipe Franks and company can kind of maybe even threaten Georgia for that SEC title?
2: I, I don't. I actually think it's going to get a little bit worse before it gets better. And I really like the long-term outlook of that program under Dan Mullen. He, I mean, this is a guy that had Mississippi State ranked number one in the country at one point. I mean, if you can do that, you're, you're a pretty good coach. And I, I do. I re- genuinely really like Dan Mullen and think he does a good job but uh, I I just think they weren't as good last year as their 10 wins would indicate I think typically that sort of thing turns around right you know uh, Lady Luck when she favors you generally that kind of goes the other direction at some point maybe it keeps going for now but but at some point it's going to regress to the mean I'm not saying they can't get to 10 again I think this is more like a 9 win team to me on paper but the offense is really good I think this is quite clearly the best collection of skill position talent that they've had since you know Tim Tebow was there probably Um, Felipe Franks is fine I was not high on him at all under the previous regime I still don't know that in a vacuum he's a great quarterback but with Dan Mullen he is a perfectly above average very serviceable quarterback uh, and I think it's a lot more schematic than anything But that doesn't really matter, right? It's about the results, not the means. So, the offense is going to be really good. The secondary is going to be awesome. Uh, I mean, CJ Henderson might be the best cornerback in the country. I'd probably have him, you know, top three at worst. Uh, Three returning safeties are going to be able to kick uh, Trey Dean into kind of that star, you know, die or 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 nickel uh, cornerback position, and uh, they get Marco Wilson back, who was actually supposed to be their number one corner last year before he got hurt, and Henderson emerged. Uh, where I'm concerned about them is up the gut. Edge rushers are going to be fine. Javari Zuniga, John Grenard transferring from Louisville. Louisville, I think Grenard's going to be really, really good for them in that Ja'Kai Polite role uh, since he departed to the NFL. But I'm worried about the interior of their defensive line and the linebacking core, and I worry that good SEC teams are going to be able to run the ball really effectively on them. And if you can't stop the run, then you can't stop anyone. So I think Florida is going to be good. Eight, nine, maybe, maybe they can, maybe they can squeak out 10 wins. You know, they'll go to a good bowl game, but I think it's going to get a little bit worse before it gets better.
1: Yeah. And as you mentioned, I mean, Polite and Jefferson are going to be really hard to replace sure. as far as their tackle for loss and sacks numbers. So I'm also concerned about the edge rushers. Um, Zuniga's incredible. There's no question. Zuniga's good. Um, but they're going to need to get some production out of other people. And and you probably know better than me on what their prospects look like. But I know that whole defensive front is kind of where the concern lies with Florida.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I do think John Grenard transferring from Louisville can have a big season. He sat out last year. Uh, at Louisville when he got hurt, you know, it went into the transfer portal. He's eligible right away, and, and he's kind of a similar player to Polite in some respects. I think Polite okay. uh, was more of, he was probably a more technically sound pass rusher, sure. but Bernard's stronger than he is. He's just going to be able to bull rush guys and probably have a pretty high win rate. So I, I think the edge rushing will be at least good, if not great. But yeah, sure. the, the interior D-line is, is it's a little dicey.
1: Yeah, it's definitely Zuniga coming back was huge for them. There's no question.
0: Uh, what kind of noise do you think Missouri uh, can cause this year, even with their postseason ban? I mean, there's still a team that's pretty solid. They've got Kelly Bryant coming in from Clemson. You know, do you expect them to play spoiler a bit?
2: I think they could. And, yeah, I wouldn't be stunned if they finished second in the East ahead of Florida. The only thing that worries me about them is how Kelly Bryant and Derek Dooley will mesh because – Outside of that, you know, the defense is what it is. It's not going to be elite, but they have an all-SEC caliber player at pretty much every level of the defense, from Jordan Elliott to Kale Garrett to DeMarcus AC. And the offensive line is, in my opinion, going to be the third best in the SEC, really solid there. I would only put it behind Georgia and Alabama, and Georgia has the best offensive line in the country. Um, The offensive skill talent is Pretty awesome. They got Jonathan Nance, a transfer wide receiver from Arkansas, who was probably Arkansas's best receiver two years ago, and then sat out last year. Uh, they have the best tight end in the country, and Alberto Okue Benam. I think for Larry Roundtree, a running back, it's kind of a compiler. But you know, Jonathan Johnson, really good slot receiver, and Roundtree's fine. I mean, he's not bad. The offensive line's too good to let him be bad. The only question for me is how Duly and 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 uh, and Kelly Bryant. Can they compromise? Like, what is that going to look like? Because I'm really not that big fan of Derek Dooley. He's never really impressed me. His offenses at Louisiana Tech were some of the worst in the country. At Tennessee, they were never anything more than mediocre until his last year. And his last year, the offense was pretty good, but he still got fired. And then even a year ago, well, Missouri's offense was elite, it was one of the best in, the, in college football, it was – much better during the second half of the season. They averaged almost a full yard per play more, I think, over their last six games than their first six or seven. Um, And that was less a result to me of increased comfortability between Locke and Dooley so much as it was they got back to some of those concepts that they had had so much success with the year prior under Josh Heupel. So I don't love Dooley, and I also don't actually love Kelly Bryant. I think outside... Of the four-game stretch in 2017, up to and including the ACC championship, Kelly Bryant largely held Clemson back. Uh, he's He is a below-average quarterback to me. He's a good runner, not even a great runner. And if Dooley can find a way to tailor that offense to him and make it work, I think get Okue Banam clearly heavily involved, run the heck out of the ball with that offensive line, it can be good. But if he tries to fit a square peg into a round hole, that thing could get pretty bad.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. And that's uh, the the good part is that line is anchoring that team. So Kelly made a great choice going into that offensive line. You know, I think they led the SEC as far as uh, sacks and TFLs given up, um, as well as I think averaging over 200 yards a game on the ground. So they are an absolute beast of an offensive line and returning three or four of those guys, I think. Um, yeah. So you have to imagine that's going to lend itself pretty well to Kelly. And as a guy who's pretty familiar with Kelly, I have some of the same concerns you do. Um, But I'm really, really excited to see what he can do in the SEC.
0: Yeah, uh, Kelly's a guy who, kind of like you said, like he had as much talent as you could possibly have around you at Clemson and didn't really kind of shine as bright as everybody thought he would, which is why I was surprised Trevor Lawrence didn't start the season as as the starter last year. But um, let's jump over to the ACC a little bit. So, Outside of Clemson, you know, what's your assessment or really just kind of expectations from everybody else in the Atlantic Division? So you've got Syracuse there, Florida State, Wake and C State. Uh, Syracuse obviously coming off the ten-win season. Florida State is uh, still recovering from the uh, the empty-cupboard Jimbo left. But you know, what do you what do you think of that division as a whole?
2: Yeah, I I, I mean, uh, outside of Clemson, the ACC. It's not great. I don't think it's as bad as everyone's made it out to be. And I think most teams pretty much across the board are getting better outside of, I mean, George Tech's going to take a step back, clearly. I think NC State will be worse. Other than that, pretty much everyone, I think, is on an upward trajectory or at least stagnating, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But <clears throat> Syracuse, I don't know. It's weird. I, last year, I don't think they were as good as 10 wins. But I also don't think that they can't do it again because of the schedule. Like, I, I don't think they were a 10-win team last year quality-wise. This year, I don't think they'll be a 10-win team quality-wise. And yet, I also think that they will probably win 10 games again. And, and if nothing else, Syracuse, I think, is one of the most well-coached teams in college football. <clears throat> no doubt. Excuse me. Um, I love Dino Babers. And, and last year, I, I kind of highlighted some of this in an article I did they do such a good job of doing the little things and controlling things that they can control. Like special teams is the best in college football. Andre Smith, throwing Hoffrichter, the return game, kick coverage, everything is perfect. And, and obviously having a good kicker and punter is not really something that you just can teach. But a lot of special teams is effort. It's about putting in the work between Monday and Friday so that you can be that good on Saturday. And, and some teams just ignore that. Dino Babers, and his staff do not. They also do a good job of staying on schedule. They 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 don't get behind the sticks. They avoid those uncomfortable third down passing, obvious passing down scenarios. And pretty much just take care of everything that they can do. You know, they're aggressive when they're supposed to be aggressive. They play a little more bend, don't break when they're supposed to. They just, they just don't make mistakes schematically. And they may not have the players that everyone else has or that certain teams have in the ACC look at Miami, look at Florida State, but when you put those players in a position to succeed and the opposing teams do not, you see the results like you did a year ago. Miami wasn't as good as Syracuse last year. They had better players, but so they weren't as good. Florida State had better players than Syracuse. They weren't as good of a team, and, and that's where I think they can find some success. So maybe they're second in in the Atlantic again. I do think Florida State's going to be better. I mean, the offensive line was a nightmare. It can't be much worse, but but I I would put those two kind of pretty even because I don't think Syracuse is as good as they looked. I think Florida State will be better, but Syracuse's schedule is also just so manageable.
0: Yeah, I think, too, you know, NC State – Fans should be excited because I think the the program that Doran has built there is definitely sustainable and they're they're just having to go through a lot of replacements, kind of changing up what they do on offense this year. I think that's a team that might be able to kind of catch a catch a few teams off guard and maybe finish a little bit higher in the rank than we than we anticipate. Um, but what's your what's your take on Florida State? Uh specifically Willie Taggart, because my take is Maybe he's just not a great head coach. And I know that, you know, we can say that, you know, Jimbo Fisher left a bare cupboard, but he was still getting a top five, top six, top seven recruiting class every single year at Florida State. The cupboard won't that bare. Certain positional yeah. groups were. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's yeah, for that sure. offensive but line sure was bare. If you, if you go back and look at Willie Taggart's track record at South Florida and like the one year he had at Oregon, it's just not, it's really just not that impressive. So. Me, personally, I'm not sold on him as a head coach. What do you think?
2: Yeah, um, I'll definitely hear that. And, you know, his, he had he had one truly amazing offense in South Florida his last year there before he got the Oregon gig. Um, but other than that, it's, it's a little spotty. His past a little bit checkered as far as uh, having success, um, you know, like you hinted at. And, again, like you guys, guys both said, an empty cupboard at Florida state is a heck of a lot different than an empty, empty cupboard just about anywhere else in the country. Yeah. Look
0: what Scott Satterfield's dealing with.
2: <laughs> yeah. 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 That's no, an empty exactly.
0: Cupboard.
1: That's a bear cupboard.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't even think they have the cupboard.
0: No, um, yeah, that's right.
2: <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I don't know. I, I want to cut him some slack. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because that offensive line was so bad. And like we were talking about earlier, In the Gulf Coast offense or the triple option or anything you want to do, it does still start up front, and they were just decimated, you know, bare cupboard, then guys that were supposed to start, you know, the few guys that they even had, some of them got hurt. It was, it was, like, unfathomably bad. And Florida State had probably legitimately the worst offensive line, certainly in the Power Five, maybe in the entire FPS. I mean that very seriously.
1: Oh, no, oh, you're not, was, you're not kidding. Yeah. yeah, it was awful. It, it was I mean, appalling.
2: And it it will not be that bad again. It won't be. Even only incremental improvement would go such a long way because they do have good players. I think Tamori Terry is an elite receiver. I think Cam Akers can be an elite running back if anybody will block for him. James Blackman was really good a couple of years ago, uh, albeit on a limited sample size. But still, you know, from what we've seen of him, he can be really good. And, and the defense is going to be better than it was, I, I think. I mean, they, they lost, you know, Brian Burns. But other than that, you know, still have Marvin Wilson, Corey Durden up there anchoring that defensive line, Dontavius Jackson, pretty much everyone. It was a really young secondary last year. Pretty much everyone's back. So I, I don't see a way the Florida State's any worse. And while they may not be way better, like contending or competing with the likes of Clemson or maybe even you know, maybe they're not as good as Syracuse. Maybe they're not as good as Virginia. It's going to be a lot better. They are going to go to a bowl game. And and I could see them, you know, winning probably at least eight games, maybe nine games. The schedule's not as friendly as Syracuse, which I think will probably bite them in the race for second in the Atlantic. But again, I I, I want to cut Willie Taggart some slack because that was like, Unfathomably bad. What happened to that offensive
0: line? Yeah, we'll see. I mean, this this to me is the year for Willie, and then he's out of excuses. And yeah. I just I don't know if they're going to do enough to like really sell me. And you don't have to sell me because uh, I'm not a Florida State alum. Uh, I'm not a Florida State fan. Uh, but their fans are. I, I they're getting a little itchy right now. So uh, we'll we'll kind of see what happens. You know, on the other side, you just kind of alluded to it a little bit. You got Virginia over there in the Coastal. You also got Miami-Virginia Tech. And so those those are the three teams that are really kind of trending up, I would say, in the ACC, or at least have a little bit more excitement than, you know, everybody outside of North Carolina in that division.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, but what's your what's your take on on Virginia this year? Because they're getting a lot of hype, and my theory is the athletic program has a lot of momentum at the moment but outside of Bryce Perkins on offense i i don't see anything there to be excited about so if a defense can lock in on him and contain him and they've got a year of film to look at him i just i'm not expecting the same Bryce Perkins that we saw last year
2: ah uh, yeah see i'm 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 kind of in on virginia and and i get i agree with you it's it would be if it's so, weird. if Miami literally just had a serviceable quarterback, it would be their division. And I don't know that it would be all that close. But quarterback's still the most position important position on the field. I do think Bryce Perkins is probably the second best quarterback in the league behind all, only Trevor Lawrence, obviously. <clears throat> um, and then you know their offensive line—they they have some pretty significant personnel attrition up there. But it was a good group last year. And I don't know that it'll be way worse. The skill position losses are a little bit worrisome. Losing Alameda Zacchaeus is, is is not ideal. Uh, I do think Joe Reed could be a bit of a breakout star. We've seen him be super productive on special teams for a couple of years now, and he's gotten enough reps in the offense to have shown some flashes and some potential. Uh, but it's clearly going to be Perkins' show, and 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 that's fine because no one in that division really has that much. I think they will have to win games ultimately with their defense but they can they have the best corner you know we talked about cj henderson earlier my actual pick as the best cornerback in the country is bryce hall i i don't even yeah. really want to hear arguments to the contrary right now <laughs> i mean he would have been taken probably if he would have been the first corner taken had he had he decided to leave um
0: yeah it's surprising he he chose not to do
2: that yeah, yeah i mean it's, it really is and he, you know they lose Juan thornhill but but Joey Blunt's still back there uh, I, I, I like Darius Bratton who's going to play opposite hall they have enough talent from you know Eli handback Jordan mack in the front seven to be competitive and because of the coastal it's i I'm with you virginia's not a top 25 team I don't think not on paper they the you know talent wise team uh, teams you know true team strength but sort of by default because Miami doesn't have a service of a quarterback I mean everything that <clears throat> I've been hearing out of The Coral Gables this entire offseason from spring camp to now even recently is Tate Martell doesn't know what he's doing the Kosey Perry can't hit the broad side of a bar they 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 don't know what they have have no options so yeah
0: um, it's it's a little surprising to hear that too with Danny you know kind of you know taking over the offense there and you know I I kind of just assumed that Mr. Tate and Martell would be the guy that would would take over just because Nikosi Perry looked like uh, just oh, awful. A deer in headlights last year, yeah. and I was not high on him at all. I'm I, I don't foresee myself ever being high on him as a quarterback, maybe at wide receiver, but well, yeah. And, and the know. worst
2: thing mean, Perry Perry was better than Rozier.
1: Oh, I, oh, yeah. no doubt. Oh, no doubt.
0: the The thing with the thing with Perry is he could play a, a a good game, but then he could go and throw for like thirty yards against Pitt the next week. So it was like. You know, I don't know what what was going on from from the Perry's standpoint or really from that entire offense. The other thing I'm worried about with Miami is I think they lost more on defense than people want to give credit for. You know, they lost basically 75 percent of their secondary. You know, they lost big playmakers on that defensive line. Like, yeah, I know that they got talented guys coming in behind them. I know Manny Diaz is a leader of that defense, but still at the end of the day, like. We don't know if those guys can play consistently at a high level yet. And I think that's being understated a little bit.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I could see that. I I, I do like their uh, their linebacking core. Uh, you know, Shaq Quarterman and Michael Pinckney are two of the best in the league. Oh, yeah, um, they're incredible. I, the, the secondary is a little concerning, but the pedigree is just so strong. <clears throat> and they do have at least one bona fide superstar in Trajan Bandy. I think that guy's lights out. He's been that way since he was a freshman and was playing – uh, slot corner for him, and then he, you know, kicked out to the boundary was just as good, if not better, a year ago. I really like Vandy. Uh, there, there are some concerns, uh, you know, safety in particular, probably, but I still think because of the talent at edge rusher with Jonathan Garvin and in the linebacking core that it's going to be an upper echelon defense nationally.
0: Yeah, and I mean it could be, and maybe part of that too is. They're in the ACC, and there's not that many high-powered offenses. But, you know, one offense that I think will catch people off guard this year is Virginia Tech. I personally think it's probably the best offense in the Coastal Division. They don't have the best offensive player. I would probably give that nod to Bryce Perkins at the moment. But, you know, I think Ryan Willis is a guy who, you know, came in last year in the old mini-game after Josh Jackson goes down with the broken leg. And uh, first year in the program coming – Transferring over from Kansas, he's base. I mean, he's he's going to be the guy. You know, I'd be shocked if he's not the the starter this season. But uh, the the one question mark for me with Virginia Tech is who is going to be the bell cow from the running back standpoint because they just they haven't had it under Justin Fuente and it's been a rotational type of system. Uh, If I see more than two jet sweeps per game, I'm not sure how that well that's going to sit with me.
1: Get ready, buddy.
0: The Virginia Tech offense should be pretty good this year. It's that defense that, if Bud Foster in his last season can really try and find a way to turn that around, I think they will be much improved over last season. I think if you look at last season in a vacuum, there was a ton of a ton of circumstances around everything to do with that side of the ball—just uh-huh. suspensions or you know guys getting kicked off the team or yeah. uh, injuries. So. so- I don't know if it's going to be a top twenty-five defense. I think it's probably in that thirty-five to fifty range. But even that would be such a huge improvement. I think Virginia Tech's got a good shot to catch catch a few people off guard this year.
2: Yeah, I could see that. I mean, that yeah, that defense last year. I mean, those, that might have been the worst defense but Foster's ever coached, and that just won't happen. Oh yeah. Begin. Oh, it had to
1: be. Yeah, it had to.
2: Yeah, I mean that guy. He he is so unfathomably consistent outside of what we saw a year ago. It it literally like it would break the laws of nature if it was that bad again and i yeah they were extenuating circumstances clearly i i mean yeah the whole the whole entire off-season it was just the off-season from hell and then that carried oh over gosh. into the season <clears throat> um but yeah and then you know you had the the what was it the tri- tr- the uh, Travon Hill thing uh, yeah it was yep. just all very bad um yeah i'm with you it'll be better i i mean i'm i'm pretty high on some of those guys i was really high on them last year and i'm kind of just chalking it up as whatever I'm throwing it away and I'm going to carry over my excitement from preseason 2018 into 2019. Like, like Rayshard Ashby's really stood out to me. I think he was one of the few bright spots last year. (laughs) Rayshard's Um,
0: a monster. He is. Yeah.
2: Uh, uh, I really like divine Diablo and and it's not just, just his name. I, I, I've always, (laughs) I've always liked his athletic upside. I think there are guys, Especially being so new to the position a couple of years ago when he moved to safety, like I love those guys. When you switch positions, you don't really have any bad habits yet, and you're a freak athlete. Like it's gonna take time, but when it clicks, it boy, it really clicks. Right, like, he's a guy that I think it could finally click for. Uh, you know the cornerbacks with Farley and Watts. It's there. There's clearly good players. Like there's there's no denying that. I think losing Ricky Walker up front that really hurts. Like yes. I, that's probably my that's biggest question. Yeah, About the defense, but for I'm sure. I'm with you on the on the offense so I outside of the, the running back question, Mark. I mean, between Damon Hazleton and Trey Turner, is this like these are the best receivers like like I think that that duo rivals like Isaiah Ford, Cam Phillips, like like those type players.
1: Absolutely. It absolutely yeah. does. I 100 percent agree. Um, offensively amazing, as you mentioned. The defense, the one good thing in the silver lining for Tech, obviously, is that so many people got to play last year that there's a lot of experience returning. Um, you know, with that, it, it, the experience is one of the worst defenses I've ever seen in the Bud Foster era. Um, and you nailed it with Divine Diablo. I think as a guy who came over as a wide receiver, he's able to give you a dynamic playmaking ability. He's rangy. Um, he could really be a turnover machine for the Hokies, and I think that's one thing that you know, and the Hokies can really improve and. It's it's one area the Hokies are typically great at. So if we could get better at that and start getting the ball back into the offense's hands, I think we're going to see a, a good return from the Hokies in 2019.
0: What's the uh, what's the assessment uh, that you kind of hear or feel with the Virginia Tech program at the moment?
2: <coughs> um, it, it's interesting. This whole Bud Foster thing really caught me off guard when I saw that. You know, scrolling through uh, my Twitter timeline the other day it it feels kind of combustible to me, right? Like there's just been so much bad and, and I don't know where that stems from. I mean, is it Fuente's fault? I think he obviously has to take responsibility for it, but is it really his thing? Is this just like a run of bad luck? I, I, I really don't understand it because it was such a well-oiled machine for so long and now it feels like, there's a little bit of a cloud over the program right now, and 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 Bud Foster leaving. You know, there's just change is hard sometimes, I guess, and, and and it just everything about Virginia Tech right now feels a little bit off to me.
0: It, it's it's odd because like in that first season, Fuente comes in, you know, win ten games, take Clemson great. to the brink in the ACC championship game, almost beat them. Um. But since then, obviously, not as much success. And last year, obviously, the first losing season since 92. But, you know, what's been odd to me is there seems to be this polarization effect between some Beamer-era players, not all. Because we'll see guys like Sam Rogers and Isaiah Ford and Cam Phillips like embracing Fuente and they're on the sideline. Even guys like Adonis Alexander kicked off the team for academics. He was on the sideline last year at games with Stroman and and Settle. So all Beamer guys. But then there's other guys like Trayvon Hill or, you know, Mook Reynolds. I'm not sure I had an issue with Fuente. He just had a felony drug charge, got kicked off the team.
1: It happens. Um,
0: But even like Bucky Hodges on on, uh, social media has been like very loud about. The Fuente era, so it's just, it's this weird kind of polarization. I have no idea where it comes from because, like I said, it's not happening with every single Beamer recruit, but there are a handful that seem to have caused kind of quite a stir inside that locker room or maybe in around the Virginia Tech football alumni base.
2: Well, and and I think it stands, <clears throat> Scott. Excuse me. Uh, I think it stands out more because it's kind of the the, the dichotomy between the culture under beamer like this i I feel you know not to this degree you don't always have coaches resigning over extramarital stuff or whatever but um you you know these things happen like most programs are not all sunshine and flowers and for for a lot of years virginia tech kind of was like it was pretty smooth uh so i think it stands out a little more like like it's weird to see it which maybe heightens, uh, you know, your kind of sensitivity to it whenever something does happen. Again, and now nationally, things do not happen to this degree at every school. But I do think that it may not be as bad. It just feels so different from what it was that it, it, it seems worse than it is.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a fair assessment. So, I mean, we'll see. I think winning kind of cures, cures all. So I think if Virginia tech, I mean, they don't have a difficult schedule this year. You know, if you, if you look at it, they've got, they've got Virginia, Notre Dame and Miami. Those are their three toughest games. Um, otherwise like eight, eight wins has to be the, the bare minimum that they get. And let's see if they can get to that nine, 10, 10 win mark. But, uh, talking about some of the big ACC, SEC matchups this year, you know, nothing too unfamiliar stands out. We've got Miami, Florida, uh kicking off the season next weekend um which i don't think they've played in about a decade so that's going to be kind of a uh, a fun way to start the season um and then the big one i think you know upset alert duke over alabama what do you think about that
2: <laughs> <laughs> um well i know i am excited about miami florida i'll be down there uh, in orlando for it so i'm looking forward to that um i and honestly i was leaning florida all off season the more i look at it though i i the Miami's defense scares me a little bit because of that front 7 like we were talking <clears throat> we were talking about and Florida only returns one starter on the offensive line. Now I'm probably going to end up picking Florida, but it's it's scary. The offensive line attrition coupled with Miami's front 7 and their pass rush, it could get pretty pretty hairy uh for Felipe Franks down there if that O-line doesn't gel pretty quickly. And then uh as far as Duke Alabama uh <laughs> Uh, cool
0: <laughs> yeah yeah that's gonna be that's gonna be a fun one.
1: <laughs> oh yeah uh,
0: you know i'm not sure which game i'm more excited for that one or louisville and uh oh god who oh notre dame on labor day like who who <laughs> who was in charge of scheduling that
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: because that, that was, was a big
2: place <laughs> when when they had when louisville had like good players like lamar jackson yeah
0: and i mean
1: State sure
2: that
0: now needs to be a flex nah. spot from now on but <laughs> You know, uh, yeah, I think the Miami-Florida game is going to be a fun one. I think it's kind of going to be a battle of which offensive line performs the best because both teams have question marks on offensive line, and, you know, Florida's got a better, or I'd say a quarterback advantage over Miami, but it's not like he's sure. a top five quarterback in the SEC. Yeah. Even. So, yeah, um, you know, you get, you get the pressure on him. You know, who knows what happens, and of course, it's the first game of the season, so it's always so difficult to kind of judge where, where teams are at, but um, outside of that, uh, we always like to wrap up, uh, wrap up our interviews with a little bit of rapid fire. So I'm basically just going to ask you a question and you're going to spout off whatever comes to mind. So first right. one, pretty obvious, uh, thoughts on the name, chowder and grits for an ACC podcast.
2: I, I don't get the reference, but it's awesome.
0: <laughs> so you got, Perfect. you extend up to the Northeast and you go down to the Southeast. So you got chowder oh. in the north and grits in the South. Okay.
2: That, that's actually pretty good. All
0: right. Uh, so best grits in the South. Best oh, grits in the There you go. That's, that's a perfect. great answer right there. Yeah, that's a
1: perfect Obviously. answer. got
0: to make sure she listens so you can get credit for that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who will win the SEC East? Georgia. Uh, tough question here. Most delusional <laughs> fan base in the SEC? Tennessee. Oh,
2: easy.
1: That was, that was easy, easy money.
0: Yeah, see, yeah, it's definitely Tennessee, but I think A&M is a close second.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can see that.
0: Uh, Gus Malzahn is the head coach of Auburn in 2020. Nope. Best venue in the SEC to watch a game?
2: Brian Denny. I panicked. I panicked a little bit. I'm going to go Brian Denny. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that one was tough, for real. How yeah. about the ACC? Uh, Death Valley. Yeah, it's close. Yeah. That's sick. It's understandable.
0: Best in, best in college football.
2: Oh man. Oh. Oh, jeez. The Oh, so I, this is bad rapid fire. I I I don't I don't ah. Uh, oh my god. I see. I'm 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 panicking now cuz I picked the wrong SEC team. So when I say my real <laughs> answer, which is LSU, now it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So yeah, let me go reverse my first SEC. It's LSU, and the best in college football is also LSU.
1: I it, thought it you were going to go up like, It's fine.
0: Yeah, I thought you were going to go like UCLA or something. So, um, <laughs> who is this year's Kentucky in the SEC?
2: Mm, if it's going to be anyone, God, if they have to be like that off the radar, I guess Mississippi State. Their defense is still going to be really good, but I, I, I don't know. Probably no one, honestly.
0: Uh, how about the ACC team most likely to surprise?
2: Uh, I think Wake Forest.
1: Yes. Yeah. Great pick.
2: Yeah. We're on the same I don't, page I don't, get why they, I have no idea why they were picked second to last in the Atlantic.
1: Can't figure it out. Can't figure it out.
0: Uh, team most likely to disappoint in each conference.
2: Uh, in the SEC, disappoint relative to like real expectations or to their fans expectations.
1: Uh, real Both. expectations. Yeah.
2: All right. Relative to fan expectations, it's Tennessee again, like, it's, like I said. <laughs> um, uh, yes, relative, relative to legitimate expectations, I, I think LSU is a little bit overrated.
0: Okay. Not a uh, not a big O guy, huh? Not uh, a
2: fan.
0: I, I love him, to be honest. Like him as a coach. Not, I oh, mean, I love him, him as a coach. such a football yeah. guy. He's, he's just such a football guy, you know.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, true or false, Todd Grantham will be the defensive coordinator of junior Tech next season.
2: Uh, I'm going to say false.
0: Okay. All right. Just a little stab in the dark there. Um, <laughs> we will see Clemson, Alabama number five before the national before the national championship game this season.
2: Oh. I'll say no. I think it's the national championship again.
0: Yeah. Okay. So who do you got
2: winning? Bama. I I, I think they're going fifteen and zero. They got to get back, right?
1: Yeah,
0: no, nah, nah, they don't have to. But... The balance. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: It's all about balance, baby. That's
0: right. All right, Tim. You got any you want to cap off with?
1: Uh. No, I don't think so. So uh, let's see. Are you are you in Georgia right now? I am. All right, perfect. What part of Georgia are you in?
2: Uh, I am down in Savannah.
1: Okay. What part? Of, what What type of sauce are you putting on your barbecue down there?
2: Oh man. Uh,
1: is it mustard I, sauce?
2: I was for me personally. I don't know that that's the norm here, but that is my personal favorite.
1: Yeah. Okay. I, I spent some time in Gainesville, Georgia, uh, just north of Atlanta, um, not too far from Athens, actually. And and mustard sauce was big there too. i had never heard of it. I moved from uh, North Carolina and. Um, yeah, mustard sauce is a. You guys should check that out. It's a good thing.
2: It is. I'm a, I'm a fan. Good.
1: Good. No, that's all I got. I ask about barbecue and and food most <laughs> times. So that's me. That's what nice. I got.
2: I like it.
0: Awesome. Well, uh, Jim, thanks again for joining the show. Uh, head over to Southern Pigskin. Check it out, uh, Jim. What's your Twitter handle? Uh, at Jim
2: Johnson SP.
0: At Jim Johnson SP, awesome. Anything Perfect. else you want to uh, plug, or any last words heading into the football season?
2: Oh no, man. Uh, I, yeah, just you know, follow us on Twitter at Jim Johnson SP at Southern Skin and uh, check out my new uh, OAYP formula. It's got some pretty cool player rankings. Uh, team rankings will be coming out. All that good stuff. Um, yeah, guys, that's it. I appreciate you guys having me on. It was fun.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Thanks a lot. Okay, thanks to Jim Johnson for coming on the show. Again, southernpigskin.com. Go check it out. Uh, Jim Johnson SP on Twitter if you want to follow him. Uh, Tim, I thought that was great insight into the SEC. Really the only team we didn't hit on too much, and I think it was just by accident really, was LSU. But uh, otherwise, what did you you think about what he had to say?
1: I mean, the, the most humorous takeaway for me was I know a lot of Tennessee fans in my personal life um, and it's good to know that they are thought of as delusional just outside my friend and family circle. So that that was really good to hear. Other than that, you know, it's just setting up to be another exciting year in the SEC. That was my main takeaway. And sadly, but expectedly, Alabama and Georgia, it seems like, a, you know, one of those two is going to come out on top. So not a lot of excitement. Um, if you're into just looking at the front runners, me, I like looking at a lot of background noise. It's the same way in the ACC, so we're used to it. Um, it's Clemson's title to lose but man it's going to be exciting I think after Alabama and Georgia um, it's a real cluster of a bunch of teams that are very 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 good and I think getting to see those teams go head to head and see if they can pull a couple wins off of Georgia and Alabama is going to be a lot of fun
0: yeah you know so being in the uh, being an ACC guy you don't want to necessarily admit that the SEC is superior but you know they're the better conference uh, depth was uh but that being said you know with Georgia this year I really like Georgia you know I think Georgia will find a way to go undefeated at least in conference play uh you know I I think they're better than Notre Dame but you just never know and Georgia just over the last few years has always had a hiccup and they've had a hard time winning winning the games or closing out the games that they've pretty much locked up you know like the national championship a couple years ago so I do expect to see Georgia and Alabama in the SEC Championship. I do think Clemson ends up in the college football playoff. I would love to see Clemson-Alabama 5, but I want to see it before the National Championship, and I have a feeling, Tim, we're going to see Georgia end up in that National Championship game going up against Clemson. I know it might sound crazy, but that's just kind of the gut feeling that I've got this year. I know Alabama is loaded. Don't get me wrong. I know how good they are, but you know who knows? It's college football. You got to go play the game. So,
1: absolutely. And you may be right, but um, you know, I, I certainly think Alabama is going to take it uh, over Georgia. But that's, I mean, that's almost a dice roll at this point. Um, it could go either way. I just, I, I think Alabama is going to win out, and and Georgia's just going to have the same year they've had for the past two years, where they just can't quite get over the hump. But I, and I'm weird. I, I feel like I'm the opposite of most of the college football viewing public out there when the thought of Alabama Clemson Five in the national championship doesn't deter me. I mean, that sounds very exciting. Um, I would not hate that in the least.
0: Yeah. You know, we kind of complain about the NBA with uh, Golden State and, you know, whatever team LeBron's on, but college football's kind of gotten there <laughs> a little bit over the
1: last few years. So, no kidding.
0: Um, but yeah, I thought, uh, Thought it was a great show. Thanks to uh, Jim again for coming on. And uh, yeah, so um, a few big matchups with the SEC and the ACC coming up. Miami and Florida open up the season on August 24th, so a week ahead of everybody else. So that'll be kind of a fun one to watch. But uh, yeah, otherwise, uh, just stay here for your ACC preview next week. Uh, We're breaking down the Atlantic and the Coastal. We'll give you our picks for the season and kind of what we think each team will do. So we're not going to go in-depth position by position for each program. You know, we've already done that throughout the offseason, so you can go back and check out those episodes. Uh, So be sure to do that. Just kind of look through our library there. There's almost 40-something episodes, so a few to choose from. Uh, But, Tim, anything else before we sign off?
1: No, um, you know nothing big. Really looking forward to that ACC preview episode. I'm interested to see what you think, especially after listening to all these interviews and all the research that we've done uh, leading up to this. I know that I'm really excited to get the, get the whole thing kicked off. But you know, Miami, Florida, I mentioned this uh, not too long ago uh, in a podcast recently, but getting that, I think, a week earlier is going to be really exciting. And the game, I think, is going to be pretty good. Miami could get... A pretty good win for the acc there um and it's going to be a battle of of underachieving quarterbacks i think with uh martel and felipe franks and and two very very good defense are going to uh, make that you know that'll be the reason it won't be underachieving solely because of talent but we're dealing with two extremely good defenses that we're going to get to see so i'm excited for that
0: yeah and you know that's if tathan uh tathan martel wins the wins the starting job so there seems to be uh Quite a split among who people think it's going to be either Martell or Nicosi Perry. So I think actually yeah. playing a week sooner plays out of Miami's favor. Um, I, I think that's probably going to be a challenge sure. for them just because they do have so many questions on the offensive side of the ball. So you know we'll see. I think Florida is a better team there. I think Florida probably wins that game, but it would be a nice uh, nice start to the season for the ACC.
1: Sure would. And yeah, I'm assuming I'm assuming obviously that Martel wins that job. Uh, but I mean, part of that is because it, it's personal bias, honestly, from what I've seen from Nikosi Perry to this point, it would just surprise me if he ended up winning that job. Um, but maybe he's made you know plenty of strides with uh, Enos down there in Miami. So uh, we'll see. I'm just I'm ready to get this thing kicked off man.
0: Absolutely. So we are Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. Like I mentioned earlier, you can check us out on uh, Twitter. You can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, and Google Play Store. Uh, if you want to follow Timurai on Twitter, I'm at It's Coachiola. Tim's at Timmy Jim. You know you can you can find us on the Chowder and Grits page as well at Chowder and Grits. Be sure to follow us there. Uh, Tim, why don't you tell these people what they can do for us?
1: Tell your friends, share our content, whether it be on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, Just give us a little share. Uh, Post to us, comment to us, let us know what you're thinking and what we can do to make this show better. We'll be happy to do it. Um, Also, one thing that we don't really mention, um, tell your friends that may or may not be plugged into our social networks that there's a podcast they can listen to. Because I know if you're like me, you know plenty of guys that love ACC football. So do that. That would be a huge help. Um, It helps us get the ball rolling. And as I've mentioned on just about every podcast before, we really are seeing the uptick in listens on our end. Um, And, you know, as we're nearing our 40th episode and surpassing our 40th episode, we intend to keep this going for a long time. And you guys are going to be the fuel to that, the catalyst. So we appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to the ACC preview show next week.
0: See you guys later.